This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hi, it's Erica, and I have some exciting news. HFMA is adding a second podcast to our catalog, and today I'm pleased to share the pilot episode. The new podcast, Cup of Joe, features conversations between HFMA's president and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer, and heavy hitters in the healthcare space. In season one, you'll be hearing from people like Judy Faulkner, who founded Epic, and Ken Kaufman, a founding partner of the management consulting firm Kaufman Hall. In today's preview episode, Joe talks with Gail Walensky, an economist and senior fellow at Project Hope, who served as senior advisor to President George H.W. Bush. The full season will be released later this summer, and we'll be sure to let you know where to find the podcast when that happens. Until then, please enjoy this sneak peek at Cup of Joe. Imagine yourself in your favorite coffee shop. Maybe you do what I do on Saturday mornings, go for a run with friends, then have a cup of coffee together before the rest of the weekend unfolds. Or maybe you meet up with a business associate and talk shop for a little while. In my little hometown of Caledonia, Michigan, people come to the Essential Bean or the Vault, which is a converted old bank building, to enjoy a hot beverage and talk about everything from family to faith and, yes, even healthcare. I'm Joe Pfeiffer, President and CEO of the Healthcare Financial Management Association. In my position, I get the opportunity to talk with the best and brightest in the industry. These are movers and shakers who healthcare leaders look to for guidance. So I wanted to bring their thoughts to you by inviting them into my coffee shop for a frank conversation about their views. Welcome to Cup of Joe. Today, I am honored to welcome Dr. Gail Walensky to our very first Cup of Joe podcast. Dr. Walensky is an economist and senior fellow at Project Hope. She directed the Medicare Medicaid programs from 1990 to 92 and served in the White House as a senior health and welfare advisor to the first President Bush. A little closer to home, she's a contributor to the Eye on Washington column in HFMA's member publication, HFM, and a longtime friend of HFMA. Dr. Walensky, welcome to the podcast. Very nice to be here with you. So, Dr. Walensky, this, as you know, this podcast is based on a coffee shop conversation theme. So, do you have a favorite coffee shop? Well, my most frequent coffee shop stop is Starbucks with a skim milk latte. Uh, it's not always my favorite, but it's the most available to me, so the one I go to the most often. Excellent. So just imagine yourself in that coffee shop in the Starbucks, and, and we'll get rolling here. You're a healthcare economist. Uh, today, I'd like to tap into that background, if if I may. First, maybe to start off, one term we hear that is a quiet, perhaps, but a powerful voice 
behind a lot of the change in the industry is the democratization of our industry. And it focuses on much more widely available clinical data, artificial intelligence, uh, tapping into very powerful smartphones, et cetera. So the question, do you see a shift based on economic principles related to the democratization of our industry? Well, the first I wanted to share with you that I had not actually heard the term democratization of healthcare uh, before I was reading materials that you had shared with me. But I think it does reach out to something that is going on, or at least in process, and that is having more data readily available to more users, not just concentrating it in the hands of healthcare professionals. Uh, And along with that, the need to have ways to make sure that the data is kept secure and safe, and also to make sure that there are easy ways for patients to be able to access the data in ways that make sense to them. It's not enough to have information and data out there. Uh, It has to be communicated in a way that people who are interested in knowing more about healthcare in general or their healthcare issues can access it readily in language they can understand. So clearly, it would have both impact on health policy, but also integrated healthcare system development. Are you aware of any policy developments in this area that maybe in terms of how to keep data private but accessible? (laughs) Those are two very different things sometimes. Well, many of the large insurers worry about both of those issues. That is, how to allow their membership to go online, schedule appointments, get lab tests and other tests back, have outreach to the physician who they might want to talk to, but not necessarily go for an in-person visit. The issue of how secure some of that information is uh, remains a challenge. One of the problems that healthcare groups in general and government as well uh, worry about is whether or not their uh, healthcare information systems can be hacked by malicious intended individuals, either for profit reasons or because they like to amuse themselves uh, by doing that. Uh, It's a real concern for all of the large payers who attempt to make it easier for their membership to get online and connect and schedule with their physicians and nurses and other healthcare practitioners. But there's constantly the concern that they may not be able to assure the privacy that everyone wants. And for sure, you know, it's a little known fact, but very powerful one. And that is that healthcare data actually is the most valuable type of data that hackers look. It's even more powerful than banking data, which I found surprising to learn. I also have heard that and read that, and it is surprising. But because the healthcare records will frequently give you all of the information that you may want to know about a person, including their date of birth and their place of birth and their social security, plus very basic, important health information about that. I guess I can see why it becomes such a tempting and frequent target.
Well, let's shift gears a little bit in terms of what's going on in your town of Washington, D.C. What, what do you think are the most likely near-term and future agenda items for Medicare that are being addressed by the Trump administration? Well, as I assume most people know, the likelihood of the administration and the Congress getting together to pass almost anything is relatively small, as we are now a year and a half out from the next election. Uh, It has been challenging all along, uh, but it is becoming worse than it has been. So the question is twofold. What can the Congress and the administration perhaps get ready for the time when there will be more ability to pass legislation? And then what can the administration do administratively? Uh, And I think you will see attempts to move on both fronts. Uh, We have seen that with regard to issues such as uh, surprise billing. There's a lot of focus now on prescription drug pricing and transparency with the rule that had been first articulated by Alex Azar in February of of this year and recently released. So the intent is clear, but the legislative quagmire that we are finding ourselves in is making it hard if it's not something that the administration can do on their own through administrative mechanisms. You mentioned surprise bills, and certainly that's been a hot topic for a while. That might be one area where there could be bipartisan support. Is that your read on? I think it is possible to get bipartisan support on surprise billing. Both parties agree it's a problem. They want to protect their members, uh, individuals, uh, constituents who are being hit by surprise billing, most often when they are entering through the emergency room or seeing a physician that they don't choose that's uh, on ER call or that is brought into the um, patient's room by whoever is the uh, attending or or on-call physician. The question is who should pay and how much limit should we put on how much the individual can charge. It's hard not to be sympathetic to someone who chooses their hospital because they know that that hospital is in their insurance network, uh, goes in especially through an emergency or unplanned admission, sees somebody at their in-network hospital, and then finds themselves getting a very large bill from someone who was called in, not by them frequently, uh, to provide care in this in-network setting. It's really of saying that the problem is easily identified. The solution about whether to force uh, whatever is some multiple of a Medicare rate or what in-network physicians would normally receive for that service or something else beside those obvious options is where it's harder to get agreement. So the problem is definitely recognized. It is specifically how to decide how much to pay and, of course, who gets to pay, the hospital, the insurer, uh, to some extent by loss of income, the out-of-network provider who chose not to be in network, or how do you do that? Well, it's the classic wicked healthcare problem, isn't it? Where the problem is easily identified and noticed and experienced by the consumer, 
but the solutions are more complex than can be explained to the normal <laughs> to the normal uh, human being. And so it really does make it a challenge. Indeed. So you talk a little bit about, you know, the political landscape as we start to inch toward, uh, in fact, I guess we're already into the election cycle for 2020. Given that, what implications do you see in the short term for the national health care conversation? And I'll get right to the specific question. What's your take on Medicare for all and all that conversation? I don't regard the Medicare for all as serious as a near-term legislative strategy. I regard Medicare for more as at least something that might make some sense that people could follow through on. But the reason I say that definitively as I did is because Medicare for all by definition means the 150 or 60 million people who have employer-sponsored insurance and their dependents would all lose that insurance. And if there was one clear message that came across when the Affordable Care Act was being phased in in its major way in the fall of 2013 to start in January of 2014, it's that American people don't like it if somebody forces them to lose something they had chosen, even if it's imperfect, too expensive, etc. We saw that with the individual insurance that people had been buying without any tax subsidies, without any other support. But when that no longer became available because it wasn't conforming to the requirements of the Affordable Care Act or because their insurer decided that there probably wouldn't be enough interest in that type of a plan, the affected public got really angry. It didn't help, of course, that President Obama had said on television very publicly, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Yeah. In other words, there might be something that we don't like, and we don't like it until somebody wants to take it away. So, uh, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't some real issues that people who have raised the Medicare for all might not be tapping into. Right. Even people who have insurance coverage are getting either surprise bills or are getting charges that are hard for them to pay, have high deductibles that they may not be able to cope with and therefore negatively affect their use. There are all kinds of issues that are legitimate to discuss about how to make healthcare more sustainable, Medicare and Medicaid more sustainable, bring more people in who don't have easy access either to insurance or to healthcare services. Medicare for all sounds nice. It is not, at least in my lifetime, maybe my grandchildren's lifetime, anything I think is likely to happen. Absolutely. Well, if nothing else, it certainly isn't a topic you want to get into at the local picnic. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> so last, one last final question for you. If you could fix one vexing problem for healthcare consumers, what would that be and what would you do? I would like to see relevant, useful information on healthcare issues that people want to understand and know more about easily, readily available to them. If you are a sophisticated user, 
you can usually go online, Google the problem, understand which sources are credible and not, and access an incredible amount of information. But there are obviously a lot of people who don't have the skill set to understand how to do that. Some may not have the technical means to be able to do that. It's something that in our current technological state, we can and should fix. I'd like to see that one fixed. Well, I'm with you 100%, and that fits nicely into our guidelines, our patient financial communication guidelines. And one of the guidelines in there is that we provide clear and understandable information. So um, I'll be right there with you when we make these changes. How's that? That sounds great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and um, I hope to catch up with you soon. Sounds good, and I hope this uh, is a good start for what will be a long and successful series. Well, I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Walensky. You're very welcome. Bye now. Cup of Joe is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and hosted by our president and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler and Michael Shorbot. Special thanks to Rick Gundling and Mary Mirabelli for their contributions to this episode. We'll be releasing Cup of Joe as a full season all at once. I'll be talking about it on Voices in Healthcare Finance, but you can also watch our social media accounts for updates. We're HFMAORG on Twitter and Healthcare Financial Management Association on LinkedIn and Facebook. In the meantime, let us know what you think about Cup of Joe so far. You can contact our team at podcast at hfma.org.